What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Okay, I won't ask you to give Roberto a warm welcome then. I think we're done. <laughs> um, I should also introduce uh, Lisa Botcher, who's going to be interpreting for oh, Roberto okay. this evening. We're very grateful for her presence. Um, Roberto started as a very young reporter in Naples, where he grew up. Um, and while a young reporter, he went undercover and started infiltrating the Camorra, the Neapolitan mafia. Um, the stories that he collected as a journalist over years, he ended up turning into an incredibly successful book, Gomorrah. It went on to sell 10 million copies around the world. It was a bestseller in Italy for a very, very long time. I've yet to come across an Italian who doesn't immediately go, Roberto Saviano. Everybody knows him there. It was turned into a film in 2008, which itself was incredibly successful. It won the Grand Prix at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, it was shortly after Roberto published the book in 2006. He was, at a, um, he was the guest speaker at a school gala in Casal di Principe, where he himself grew up. It's just north of Naples. And while he was there, there were some Camorra bosses in the audience, and Roberto named them in front of everybody and asked them to leave. He already was looking at a few sort of security issues at the time, very shortly after that, the threat started escalating. And since then, October 2006, he's lived under an armed escort, which was given to him by the Italian government. It's worth bearing in mind that when this happened, Roberto was 25 years old. And this was nine years ago. Since then, he hasn't spent a single day without an armed security escort around him. He has to move location every few days. He cannot go and stay with family. He can barely see his family. Um, they have to hide their own identity. Um, and even in that time, he's managed to carry on 
his work as, as a journalist, as a reporter, and as an author. He's now written the follow-up to Gomorrah, 000. It's about the international drugs trade, but very specifically also about the international cocaine trade. And we're going to be talking about why specifically he chose cocaine and why he chose the international drugs trade as a focus for his next book. Um, I should mention as well that uh, among the accolades that he's received, in 2011, he was gr- uh, awarded the Pinter Prize for the International uh, Writer of Courage Award. He was given that by English Pen, who we're very happy to have here tonight. And in 2008, he was even invited by the Nobel Committee to give a speech there. We're incredibly grateful and excited to have him here tonight. Roberto, benvenuto, grazie. Grazie. Funziona? Yes. Yeah, can we hear Roberto? <laughs> so I just wanted to sort of ask you a little bit about your background first. When you were growing up, was there always violence around you? Io sono cresciuto, vabbè, sono nato nel 79 e sono cresciuto tra la fine degli anni 80 e Well, I was born in 1979, so I grew up between the 80s and the 90s in a mostly rural area. Um, and um, like many of my fellow Italian uh, citizens, um, this area can be described as a kind of a war field between two big mafia families, the Cutoliani and uh, La Nuova Famiglia. Um, having said that, it was, um, it was like a, a kind of undeclared war, uh, but everybody knew it was, it was going on. And I, I know that I think one of the key moments in your, in your adolescence was seeing the fate of um, his father, Peppino Diana. Yeah. He was a, a priest who um, spoke out against the mafia in the, same, in the same town where Roberto grew up. I just wanted to ask about the effect of what happened to him on you. Yes, for me, that I, I consider that point in my life as a point of no return. I was barely 16 years old, so to me, Don Peppino um, seemed like a grown man, like a mature man. In actual fact, he was only 35, he was only 30, uh, so he, he was just, just uh, approaching adulthood, uh, as it were. Um, and he'd written uh, a very poignant uh, book um, where called uh, Per amore del mio popolo non tacerò, which can be loosely translated as For the love of my people, I will not keep quiet. So that was a, a major, major event in my life. It wasn't just the fact that he was killed, um, but what struck me uh, mostly was the way the media treated him and public opinion in general. Uh, The local newspapers started um, publishing uh, stories about this event and they just branded Don Pepino a Camorrista, so a member of the Camorra. Uh, They also portrayed him surrounded um, by women, so it it was an obvious attempt to cast aspersion and defamate this, this person, so my personal reaction to that was that I wanted to vindicate him and that's why I started writing. There's, um, there's a rather uh, funny anecdote which I think is worth repeating. The 
lawyer who was defending uh, the killer of this person whose name was uh, Nunzio De Falco was no other than um, Gaetano Pecorella. And the um, person who was killed, um, Nunzio De Falca, was also nicknamed Olupa, which means the wolf. Um, so Gaetano Pecorella at the time was the chairman of the uh, Justice Commission. So it was a, a very high-ranking individual who was defending uh, a vulgar killer, as it were. And the irony of all this is that um, pecorella in Italian means little sheep. So we, there was this funny situation that the sheep was defending the wolf. <laughs> if, you've, if you've read Roberto's book, uh, Gamora, you'll know that it's full of stories like that, and it's very much about human stories, and it's very much about small stories, people's lives and coincidences and how they all intertwine. So I wanted to ask, when you were then becoming a reporter and you were working undercover, did you always see that these stories were going to become a book? Sì. Quello che mi manca molto oggi è proprio questo, riuscire a stare in strada, che mi è praticamente impossibile, tranne in posti assurdi e lontani. E, però io ho sempre voluto nelle mie pagine... Yes, what I miss mostly uh, is the ability to, to be free, to just walk the streets, which I can't do anymore. Um, I, my intention was always to write a book that was a halfway... Between a novel and a real story, uh, a real report. Um, and um, um, my books are generally uh, full of little anecdotes and little uh, funny stories. Uh, one such story is the event that I recalled when I went to uh, a villa, to a house where there was a mafia boss, um, Michele Zagaria. And he, he was due to meet some entrepreneurs. Um, and um, when I got to his door, he opened the door and he had a tiger on a leash. So that's just to give you an idea of how reality can sometimes go beyond fantasy. You can't make stuff up because, you know, reality is even more striking than, than fiction, as it were. My books are full of anecdotes and little funny stories uh, like this, and people often ask me, are you obsessed? And the reality is, uh, perhaps I am a little obsessed. Um, the reality is that whilst you are investigating uh, one of these funny, unreal, surreal stories, you end up missing an awful lot of others. Um, for example, when I wrote the book Zero, 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 um, I investigated this um, negotiation between the Colombian uh, cartel uh, cartel which was on its way out um, and um, the negotiation with the Russian cartel and the, tr the terms of the agreement if we can call it that were that the Russian would provide two kilos of heroin in exchange of one kilo of cocaine from the Colombian cartel 
Somehow the deal fell through and the Colombians said they did not want to buy uh, their heroin anymore. Of course, the um, Russian were not willing to pay anyway. And there was um, a middleman, I believe, who had an office in Naples, and he decided to put a completely new stamp on the agreement. And he said, OK, fine, you don't want our heroin, which is fine. But in exchange of that, we will give you a submersible, uh, you know, a, 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 submarine. a submarine of the uh, Red um, Army. We'll find out drug smugglers love submarines. Yes. <laughs> so it's interesting because Gomorrah, even though it's set only in Naples, um, Roberto writes in the book very much about how it's a hub spreading out to the whole world. There's uh, Chinese counterfeit goods coming in. There's drugs coming in, as he's just talked about. Did you always have a desire, even whilst writing Gomorrah, to be painting a bigger picture as you've painted in 000? Yes, in the sense that one of the critics, me, is more unjust. Okay, yes, in answer to your question, you could say that one of the uh, fiercest uh, critique that um, um, one of the biggest criticism I've been, um, I've been accused of um, was firstly that I was defamating Naples uh, in so many words. Um, in actual fact, I do not tell the story of Naples to the world. I tell the world, I tell about the world through Naples. So um, in my book, there's many, many references to the fact that whilst the uh, trafficking of uh, dirty money, as it were, is usually directed to the north of the country, the north of Italy, to the north of England, there's a specific chapter devoted to Scotland, uh, when it comes to toxic waste, um, another um, very, very dangerous um, waste, they are usually redirected to, to the south. Um, in my book, there is a specific chapter on uh, La Terra dei Fuochi, uh, which is, can be loosely translated as the land of fires. Uh, just to highlight the issue of toxic waste um, down south. Uh, when I first mentioned this issue, nobody believed me. Um, I took the name from a, a report of, um, um, from an association, Legambiente, which deals with green matters and is devoted to the protection of the environment. Uh, all you can do in these situations when you are faced with the incredulity of people, you have to carry on and you have to be strong and you have to believe in the fact that truth will eventually come out. Now, Gomorrah describes a sort of entire range of vices and crimes and 000, it's a much bigger book and it's about one thing, cocaine. Why cocaine? Well, why cocaine? Cocaine um, can be described as the white oil. Um, I would say that when it comes to drug trafficking, um, if we could describe it as a person, I would say that the heart of this person is in Mexico, the head of this person is in London. Uh, and what strikes me the most um, is the fact that 
uh, Europe is blatantly ignoring the gravity and the seriousness of the problem. Um, so the countries know, but they just look the other way. Why is London the head of this? <laughs> and London specifically, if you're talking about Europe as well. Why? Well, it is mainly for two, two reasons, two main reasons. Uh, firstly, the massive consumption and popularity of this drug in this city. Uh, and also, the, there's another consideration to be made, and, the fact, and that is the fact that uh, wholesale coke price is very, very expensive when it first reaches England, but the retail price is very, very small. Uh, so, and the reason for that is that because the substance is heavily cut, so um, it's not even very good quality. So that explains in, in part why London is a hub. But the fact that, for example, you chose cocaine, not heroin, for example, why? Is it the, is it the biggest selling drug in the world? Is it the w drug that creates the most revenue? Well, um, we, can, we can say that heroin and cocaine are almost... Uh, uh, opposite uh, drugs. Um, heroin is um, commonly branded as the queen of drugs and its effects are usually likened to that of an orgasm. Cocaine, on the other hand, is, is the drug of action. So it's the drug of our time. It's what allows you to cram a million things in a day, to go to a million places, to see a thousand people and to keep going. So it is the very expression, it is the epitome of our capitalistic society. One thing is worth um, going back to. Uh, there are two nations in Europe which have been consistently and systematically uh, ostracizing and, and blocking um, any laws on money laundering. And these two countries are England and Austria. Austria. Um, the reason for that is that because um, um, mostly because people don't see the problem. Um, English citizens consider this um, an issue that doesn't affect them, that it's not it's away from home. Um, it's, it concerns other countries. It, does, it doesn't concern their specific countries. So the whole issue lacks the pressure and the lobbying of the citizens, which is what is needed for it to be raised and to be brought to the attention of the world. That's what I'm trying, that's what I'm trying to do myself. Perhaps I'm being uh, delusional. I have this um, idea that I can be uh, somewhat ever powerful with my writing and that I can shake people up and get them to get them to rebel against this situation. That's what I'm hoping. What is it you want people to know about cocaine in this instance? Because it strikes me that on the one hand, cocaine being criminal, we know. People doing cocaine, we know. But why is this so important in, if we're talking about money laundering? Um, yes, the cash flow generated by uh, drug trafficking activities is huge. 
uh, it beats Samsung, it beats Shell, um, it is the only um, economy um, that generates so much cash flow, as much cash flow as oil. So that's, that's the parallel we can draw. Uh, banks have not always been open to this type of money laundering activity, although they're not, um, you know, they, they try and mask them up. Uh, but in the 80s, in, in fact, in the 80s and in the 90s, uh, banks were terrified of opening their doors to dirty money, as it were. And the reason behind that was that because they thought if we start negotiating and trading with the mafia, then we will lose control over our board of directors. Then the economic crisis um, starts raging and um, uh, it started much, much earlier than we, we think, we, much earlier than we could perceive it. Um, and this, of course, meant that there was very little cash around. Um, it also meant that the immune system of banks and um, uh, financial institutions started to weaken. Um, so banks, as it were, started opening their doors in order to retrieve, to recoup this cash. There is one big accusation which was made uh, by the um, United Nations organization in the person of Antonio Media Costa. And um, he said quite openly that many banks and many financial institutions are now blatantly uh, recycling, uh, laundering dirty money. And that's because they needed to generate cash and the revenue generated by uh, drugs was far too big to be uh, re rebuked, as it were, rejected. Um, There was no reaction from any government to such an accusation from a person of high-level ranking. So. It's, it's almost as if, you know, if you talk about the banks being bit too big to fail, it's almost as if the cocaine trade is too big to fail. So I want to ask you if, and the sort of sums that are estimated, it's something like maybe 400, from cocaine alone, maybe $400 billion a year, Are, uh, are laundered through uh, the legitimate banking system. That's, a, that's about a third of what the financial losses around the world were in 2008. Mm -hmm. So cocaine money is such a big part of the economy. Can we afford to not have it there? What do we do about it? Difficile <laughs> risposta. Stasera dovrebbe esserci qui tra voi un mio... Okay, this is a um, difficult question for me to answer. Um, tonight here in the audience, there should be a dear friend of mine, um, Michel Glenny. Michel Glenny. Um, and he's um, said, he's reported quite openly um, on the fact that um, capitalism, uh, this is how the modern capitalism uh, works. Um, it, it thrives off a criminal economy, but I don't want to be moralizing here tonight. I don't want to 
be on my high horse. I would just like to um, broach the issue from, from a technical point of view. Um, how many of you in this room know uh, about the uh, big, big scandal that affected HSBC? Um, HSBC has had to pay a $1 billion fine because it has been accused of laundering dirty money. Um, the news has almost gone unnoticed. Um, nobody talks about it. The, it, wasn't, it wasn't big news uh, somehow. Um, the bank has admitted it, and that's why I'm not scared of any uh, legal suits. Um, but the government should have taken responsibility for this, should have should have intervened, should have said something, but nothing was done about it. That, that's how bad it is. Is it then, is it, the, is it the governments you feel angriest about? It's not drug dealers at all, not drug smugglers, traffickers. Well, sì, governi l'opinione pubblica... Se l'opinione pubblica inglese, per esempio, è fondamentale, può cambiare le cose in un attimo. Um, quindi mi, mi spiace molto quando lo sguardo... Um, the, answer, the answer to your question is, um, uh, yes, I'm angry. I'm angry with the governments, but I'm also angry with the people, with the public opinion. And uh, English, English opinion, for one, can really change things in an in instant. Um, and it does anger me, the fact that you can be so short-sighted that you see the misdemeanors and the small crimes and you're missing, you're missing the big, big picture. Uh, for example, the attack in Tunisia, it was all over the news, understandably so. Um. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents with the code squared. Simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. And obviously, there's a lot of talk about ISIS. ISIS are one of the biggest producers and manufacturers of methamphetamine, which has a very, very similar effect to cocaine, um, with the added disadvantage that it turns your brain into mush very, very quickly. Um, the Taliban, again, are some of the biggest narco-traffickers uh, in the world. 90% of the heroin trade is managed by them. But somehow this goes unnoticed. People don't talk about it. So this is what, this is what makes me angry. We're going to open the questions to you in just a second. I'm going to ask you one more question first, which is, do you ever worry 
that you've become so obsessed with the subject that you see everything connected to cocaine. Lo so che sembra così. <laughs> e... Ma credo di no, nel senso che credo che sì, l'ossessione sia mh, una sorta di motore che mi porta a scavare. Ma le connessioni sono evidenti. Um, del resto um, I know I'm aware of the fact that it might look like um, I'm obsessed but I, I don't think I don't think so I don't think I'm obsessed obsession if you want to call it um, that uh, is what drives me is what fuels me uh, the connections however are obvious are obvious for everyone to see uh, Cocaine is one substance that can generate huge, vast amounts of money, and there's no other commodity that can generate this much revenue. Um, and there's another thing to consider. Uh, cocaine is easy to produce, and it's easy to sell. And just as... Um, And as an example, if I invest $1,000 in shares after three years... And it, it, was, it was specifically shares in Apple, Apple the biggest sorry, company on Apple the planet. Apple shares, thank you. Um, I will get very little money back uh, after, after three years. If I invest in cocaine, after a year, I will get $100,000 back. This just to give you an idea. Oh. We're not suggesting anything. <laughs> Uh, okay, this gentleman here, and then we'll take... For people up in the gallery, there's a fixed mic there, which if you could go to. So we'll take this one first, and then the lady just there in red, and then the gentleman here. Okay, we'll come to you. Please keep your questions very, very short indeed. Um, Thank you very much indeed. It's uh, no coincidence that my guest tonight is a lady from Calabria. My question is based around your comment, Mr. Saviano, that Mexico is the heart and London is the head, and particularly Europe is blatantly ignoring the size of the problem, which I entirely agree with, and I've got reasons for saying that. Are there any countries in Europe or institutions within countries or particularly across the European countries who are trying to change that and equally those who are not? And your comment about Austria was 100% accurate. Thank you. Eccomi, sì. In realtà ci sono istituzioni dentro Well, in actual fact, the, there are institutions within countries that try and change things, they try and uh, stem the, the problem. Um, but um, I would say that Europe um, has internal... Um, it has internal gaps, deficiencies which allow it, allow for this trade uh, to carry on. Um, countries such as Liechtenstein or Luxembourg and Andorra, so smaller countries. Uh, London is in competition, it's open, in open competition with the Cayman Islands and uh, with Andorra. 
So why is it that it's become the most important hub for laundering money? And the reason is that it costs, it's cheap, it's inexpensive. So, um, so Austria, for example, uh, why is it that suddenly there are no rules against money laundering anymore um, or uh, an obvious weakening? Uh, of the rules. In actual fact, the more money you bring, uh, the better, the more facilitated, the more uh, helped you will be. Um, and at one point, these rules became even more lax, and that's because Austria realized that the money was being redirected to Liechtenstein. Uh, so, again, we have witnessed yet another weakening of the rules in order to keep the money in. And uh, something a bit closer to the situation, the current situation, the situation of uh, Greece. Greece has, is being eaten alive by drug cartels for years. So Russian cartels met in Saloniko a few years ago in order to make peace, as it were. And so they are eating Greece bit by bit. The tourism industry has been savaged by the cartels for years. Okay, let's take another question. Um, where have we got the mic? Yes, you, sir. Yeah, hi. Um, Roberto, um, you've, um, you've written in the past about uh, Berlusconi and, uh, and David Mills, and um, we see some news in Italy, more news about David Mills and uh, to do with money laundering. And I just wonder, you know, we're interested because, uh, well, he's married to Tessa Jal, and uh, is there more of a story to come? Can we, can we expect uh, more of a story Maybe from you. It's, um, the question was about the lawyer, David Mills, who's uh, married to Desajal MP, who, of course, are David Mills being Berlusconi's lawyer. Is there a bigger story there? Are you going to write about it? Well, eh... Quella è una storia interessantissima. Una delle cose più interessanti di quella vicenda era capire che per esempio l'utilizzo dei fondi eh, well this is um uh, that was a, a riveting gripping story the story about uh, Berlusconi uh, in actual fact the use of funds or the use that Berlusconi made of funds is is nothing new it's been, it's been done it's been done for years it's been done by others um, as well uh, Back then, back in those years, what the common practice was to just open a fund, um, take it abroad, uh, make it generate um, a good yield, and then reap the benefits. Il meccanismo può sembrare complicato, ma in realtà è molto semplice. Una volta che si è capito, si capisce come si recicla. Funziona così. Immaginate di avere. Let's imagine uh, this scenario. It might seem complicated, complex um, uh, to invest money, but in actual fact, once you've grasped the mechanism, it's very, very easy. Uh, let's assume you've got 200, um, 200 billion dollars that you want to invest um, abroad. Um, and you've got this money through illegal activities. What do you do? You open a fund in whichever country, 
and um, the, you, so you are effectively operating as a criminal organization. Uh, you then decide to, uh, the fund then decides to buy some property in Rome. I'm mentioning Rome because that's where the prices have skyrocketed at the moment. So you buy a house, you buy a restaurant, you buy property, you buy, you buy all sorts of, um, of assets. That way, you have legally brought back into your country the $200 billion that you initially invested. And um, there, that's, there are no rules anymore. There are some rules for common people and different rules for, for investors and for fund managers. We'll take a question from up there. Hello. Um, I'm a bit... Um, by the way, um, many thanks for what you're doing for us uh, every day with, you, with your work, with, uh, with your writing. Um, you are actually doing a lot for us, uh, a lot for, for the society. And I wonder, I wonder if you have a good way um, to suggest us um, to act in a way to defend yourself and to defend people as yourself and, and change this, this sick system um, which, which I believe anyone in this, in this room is against. Um, so, yeah, I'm... Um, I'd, bo- I'd be yeah, really, be- really glad to have a suggestion from, from you. you. Let's just, yeah, sure. what can people, what can people. people, even non-reporters, what can people do to change the system? Grazie per le tue parole. Innanzitutto, conoscere, condividere, prendersi tempo per approfondire. Questo è fondamentale. Qualunque sia l'idea politica, Qualunque sia la posizione religiosa, culturale, questi temi vengono... First of all, I would like to thank you for your kind kind words. What what can people do? People, first of all, they've got got to get to know the issue. They've got to share the issues and they have to delve deeper into them. Regardless of your political belief, regardless of your religious creed, all you can do is to talk about it, talk with your family, talk at the dinner table, talk at the pub, talk at the football match. Um, this is the only thing that can beat the dark, that can shed light onto the darkness. In uh, Mexico, for example, journalists are brutally killed because of posts on Twitter. Uh, Malala, the uh, famous uh, student, they tried to kill her for speaking her mind. Uh, so you might think, what are these people worth? Um, they are actually worth a lot because they've had the courage to speak up. Um, and um, um, that's all people can do. Yeah. Um, we'll take, if you, is there, if you've got a microphone there? No, we'll take another one from the top then. Ciao, Massimiliano da Perugia. In Italian, okay? No, in English, please. In English, okay. And short. Okay, very short. Uh, Roberto, first of all, are the Italians like you that make me proud to be Italian? So... 
I wanted to tell you this for nine years. A very, very quick question. Uh, I understand that Don Peppino gave you the inspiration to start in search of the truth. What gives you the inspiration today? And two words. What is courage for you? Definition of courage. Cos'è il coraggio per me? Cerco di dare una risposta che possa risolvere un nodo che chi è italiano all'estero o anche albanese all'estero o russo all'estero capirà spesso si associa il termine mafia il termine italiano all'intera comunità italiana o si associano gli albanesi i nigeriani c'è un dato che tutti dimenticano in Inghilterra come in Germania Uh, courage. I will try and um, give um, a reply that can resonate with the majority of the people in this room. So regardless of your nationality, um, Italy and Italians are often associated uh, with the mafia. Uh, but there's one thing everybody uh, seems to overlook and to forget, and that any mafioso association has been stepped in its track, any criminal activity has been stopped in its track, uh, usually by an insider, by one honest person that was inside and decided to, to speak up. So we could say that um, it is, um, it's, a, it's almost like a silent courage, it's a courage made of actions, made of real deeds. Uh, what I would like to say to my fellow Italians in this country, and I know there's, there's a lot of you here, um, is um, do not be afraid to talk about the mafia, because other countries have got the same problem, and they don't talk about it. So all I can say is that if you deny the issue, then you're a coward. Speaking out means courage. The problem we've been talking about this evening, we'll come to a few more questions in just a second, talking about a global problem, drugs being everywhere and international traffic. Is legalization the solution that we are ultimately moving towards? And is it a solution? Secondo me la legalizzazione è il più grande Yes, I, I can um, honestly say that legalization would be the biggest the um, most iconic, the most important, the most powerful anti-mafia gesture, uh, action that anybody could, could take. Uh, I'm not advocating necessarily the legalization of marijuana because it's not, it, it's not bad for you or because its effects are negligible. Uh, what I'm saying is that we should perhaps start with soft drugs um, in order mainly to detract capital to take revenue out of this trade and then perhaps move on to bigger, uh, harder substances. Uh, prohibitionism failed a long time ago and it still keeps failing. And we'll take one more up there and that will be done. Do you, do you think there's a danger that you're... Do you think there's a danger that you're actually perpetuating the problem by taking the, putting the focus on something when actually the focus is on 
the society. So you're putting the focus, do you think there's a danger by putting the focus on the dealers, the, the people who are running these organizations when in fact it's us that are using? Uh, allora, rispondo al volo. Um, no, in realtà... Uh... In actual fact, uh, my focus on the financial but also uh, military uh, um, mechanisms that um, uh, regulate this, uh, this trade uh, are not meant to take responsibility from the consumer or from the dealer. Um, and I, I'm not, I, my intention is not to give um, a perfect wand, a magic wand to someone, a panacea for everybody to, uh, to enjoy. Uh, what I'm trying to do is to help people understand, and I think once you understand the issues, that you will be in a better position to change things. Okay, so yes, you, please. Is this working? Yeah. Um, Roberto, may I ask you a more personal question? Um, something that is actually your feelings about something. It's very important, the work you do. Um, but my question is away from in investigative journalism. It's away from all the very moral things that we're talking about tonight. You mentioned you have to move on every few days. You can't have contact with your family, your friends, um, which to most of us here in the room would be quite an alien concept. I mean, our whole lives are based around our friends' family. Um, and Christmas Day, your mum must absolutely hate it. <laughs> she must be very proud of you, but your mum must hate not having that contact with you. Do you ever sit there and think, you know what, this just isn't worth it anymore? This is just not worth it? Or do you just have something that keeps you going on? Sull'altra domanda, sì, mi pento tutti i giorni in realtà di aver fatto quello che ho fatto. È una brutta risposta, lo so, io dovrei dire, lo rifarei mille volte, è stato giusto farlo. Uh, non indietreggio di un passo ma direi una fesseria uh, rimpiango ma non rinnego uh, tornassi indietro farei Okay, so in answer, in answer to your question whether I regretted uh, what I did, I'm probably going to give you an answer that you don't want to hear. Yes, I do regret it. I regret it every day, but that doesn't mean that I deny it. It doesn't mean that I am renegating what, what I've done. If I could go back in time, I would do exactly the same. Was it worth it? I'm asking myself this question every single day. Um, I find ironical that on the one of the few sunny days in London I was stuck indoors um, it seems it seems really unfair um, I'm not sure uh, whether it was worth it I think time will tell and the outcome of my actions will tell whether it was worth it one thing is for sure and I'm fully convinced of that. I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm still here. I'm still telling my story. So many people who try to do the same were killed and forgotten. I'm still here. I'm still talking and I'm not forgotten. This... This, this, unfortunately, is going to be the last question, and I know that you've been waiting since the beginning. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Roberto. Welcome back to London. Uh, what about the war on organized crime? How we are progressing? And, and here I'm talking about the Italian uh, thought. 
Two years after the publication of your book, we had a big operation in Italy called Operation Crimine, Crimine 2008, where we found out about Drangheta, the least known until then of, a, of the four Italian mafias. Do you think we're progressing? But most importantly, do you think we can win? Uh, Giovanni Falcone used to, like, uh, used to say, you know, the mafia is a, Cosa Nostra is a historical phenomenon. It has a start and it must have an end. On which camp are you? È difficile rispondere. Ma sono contento del riferimento a Falcone perché Giovanni Falcone capì, e per questo fu ucciso, che bisognava conoscere i percorsi economici per poter fermare um, again a difficult difficult question um, I'm happy however about the reference to Giovanni Falcone uh, Giovanni Falcone understood um, he, he realized that in order to get to the bottom of the issue you had to understand the workings the financial transactions the inner workings of, of this system so there was no point in the arresting one person or that person or that person responsible. Um, the main thing was to get to know the system inside out. Um, in answer to the question whether we can uh, fight um, the um, war on drugs, uh, whether we can beat um, uh, drugs, I don't know if we can beat it, but we can certainly um, fight it. Um, one thing that I like to do every time I come to London is to shake people up a little. So I urge you, I urge you to talk about these issues, to even get the Queen to raise the issue, to talk about it, because it's very important, because the English public opinion has got huge power and it can really uh, change things. Falcone was not killed because he was honest. Falcone was killed because he was the very first person who managed to dramatically change the history of criminal capitalism. And it was the first person who showed that broaching the issue didn't necessarily mean to cast aspersion on Italy and on the Italians. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, I'm going to ask you all, if you could just stay seated for a moment as Roberto leaves the room. He's going to be signing copies of his new book, 000. It's pretty rare that you can say somebody's risked their life to write a book. Um, it's maybe even rarer to say that somebody risks their life every single day in order to write that book. Um, it's on sale. There are ushers to show you where to go, and Roberto will be signing copies of the book. Please don't take any photos uh, while you wait for it to be signed and while you're having it signed. Um, and I'd ask also that all of you leave through the doors on this side of the room. You won't be able to exit through those. But thank you all very much for coming. And thank you enormously. For listening. You can download more Intelligence Squared podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run. 
or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Partnerships.